I'm Victoria, and this podcast is all about running, marathon training, and run coaching. It is packed with useful tips to help you grow as a runner. I am a 13-time Boston qualifier and mom of two who started running as an adult. I learned a lot on my journey, and in 2014, I launched an online run coaching business to help other runners. Now, we employ several run coaches and are one of the largest online run coaching companies. We teach you the secrets to reaching your potential in the sport of running. We give real talk discussing personal stories of injuries, setbacks, and PRs. Think of this as a conversation with serial marathoners who share the lessons that we learned along the way. This is the Run for PRs podcast. The Boston Marathon. It's coming up and we wanted to do a whole podcast kind of dedicated to running the Boston Marathon, the course, um, what to expect when you're out there. Um, We actually had this podcast queued up um, to record back in March of 2020. So it's two years in the making because we finally have the Boston Marathon back on schedule in April. And this is the first time they've done the Boston Marathon in April since 2019. So that's been three years. So it's really exciting to see that it's coming up again. I'm really excited for a lot of our athletes who are running and I know there's just a lot of excitement and build up to this um, race that's gonna be this next Monday. And we wanted to do a podcast to kind of help ease some of the nerves and just give some of our tips in an audio format for people who are racing. And even if you're not racing, this can be a really fun podcast to listen to because before I ran the Boston Marathon, I didn't really have a reference for, you know, just how challenging the course was or what to expect when you're out there. So this podcast can be informative, especially if you are tracking athletes or you maybe are going out there to spectate. Um, I know before I ran it or every year I don't run it, I will track people who I know, like my friends or athletes who are running this race. And so a lot of the time, if you have a desk job that's able to, you can track um, the race during the day, right? So it's, it's a super fun experience, not only for people who are running, but also for those who are tracking people from afar or spectating the race. So I guess we'll dive right in. This year is a little bit different with all of the changes that they've made um, since COVID. So I'm not really familiar on, you know, all of the changes that they've made. But um, I did run it in 2021, and it seemed that a lot of the things were pretty similar to what they were in past years once you started the race, at least. So Jason, what should people know flying into Boston? I know you're kind of more of the logistics guy. um, So every year that I ran it, uh, you kind of help with the transportation. So what should people know like flying into that Boston airport for transportation? Yeah, I think it's always good to plan ahead. And so looking at where you're staying in comparison to the airport and kind of figuring out the best method of transportation. Uh, Very few people, I think, rent a vehicle unless you're staying kind of out out in the suburbs. Mm -hmm. Um, But if you're staying in Boston, you know, you probably want to rely on uh, the public transportation or getting an Uber or taxi. And one thing I know back when we first did Boston, I think the taxi was cash only. I think that's changed. But um, just know that the prices are going to be pretty high and you might have to wait a little bit um, if you just rely on that. Um, and then as far as like, I have never done the Uber or a Lyft from um, the Logan Airport, but I'm sure that's an option. I'm sure there's a pickup zone for that. So that's definitely an option. It might take you a while to get to your um, your destination, even though it's a few miles away. I know um, there's a lot of traffic that weekend, mm-hmm. um, especially um, what we've done in the past is we've always kind of looked at the the MBTA um, transportation line. And so there's the, um, you know, the subway system. So you can take the shuttle over to the subway system and then uh, get on the right line to go to your uh, hotel. And so sometimes that does involve taking two different colors. I know for us, that was the case because we stayed near Copley. So we had to get on the green line and just planning ahead, um, kind of knowing the, the times that the subways are going to be running and the shuttles and all of that. So there's definitely a lot of benefits to 
um, examining the maps and really just planning out your um, your arrival and know that it could take a couple hours to actually get to your um, mm-hmm. destination. Or if you're planning to meet up with someone at the expo, it might take time to get to your hotel, check in, drop your bags, and then get to um, the convention center for the expo. Right. It is such a busy weekend. And I know last year when we went, I feel like there was, wasn't there some sort of like a big baseball thing going on as well? Oh yeah. The, well, it was in the fall. So the Red Sox had home playoff games that weekend. Yeah. And so it was extremely busy. Um, you know, one thing that'll be different this year too, is that uh, the other races are back. So the BAA 5k okay. is going to be going on, I believe it's Saturday. And then the BAA elite mile is taking place too. And so there's there's other things happening, you know, where they're shutting down Boylston and stuff like that. And so um, that will impact not only the subways, but general traffic flow. Right. And so, yeah, just it's not only the Boston Marathon that's going to probably be taking place. There's a lot of other stuff that are, is going on in the city. Um, but this marathon brings in so many people. So as soon as, you know, you get to the airport, pretty much, at least for where we're flying out of in Minneapolis, it was like as soon as you got to your terminal um, area, there was just a sea of Boston Marathon jackets. So it's a lot of people who are flying out that day, um, that Friday, Saturday, even Thursday, most likely if they're flying to Boston, uh, you're going to have a flight that probably has quite a few marathoners on it. And then when you get off and you're in the Boston airport, um, I just remember seeing so many people with their jackets on um, arriving from other flights, and it's just like really exciting. Um, And even with the public transportation, right? I think it's it's comes in clutch. Um, we come from an area that doesn't really have a lot of great public transportation, but I think if you're able to navigate that, I don't even, is it a subway system? I guess it's yeah. Well, they do have they the commuter rail, which yeah. is that kind of goes out further. And actually, when I've spectated before, I've taken that out to like you know it's called the Framingham Worcester line. So I've taken that out to like um, Wellesley area or Natick mm. on the course. Um, but if you're going just kind of like in Boston, you're right. typically going to be on the subway, and that goes underground. Yeah, and I think, um, you know, there's a lot of people around, so even, you know, people on your flight, maybe you get talking to one of them, you ask, like, how they're getting into downtown Boston. So if you're staying downtown, I think if you're able to do the public transportation to um, downtown, it it does kind of save some time, I think. Um, Just my one experience that we had using the (laughs) other, um, using a taxi, it was... It was kind of crazy. Uh, but once you're even downtown, so no matter how you get there, I think that um, the subway is really uh, great for people who want to kind of save their legs, right? So instead right. of walking blocks and blocks and blocks, going from your hotel to the expo, going from your hotel to wherever you're going, um, you can really save the legs and use that public uh, transportation system. And it's super inexpensive and it's a really great form of transportation. I highly recommend, especially if you're planning on doing a lot of things in that downtown area. Um, and then in terms of, yeah, we were scheduled to talk a little bit about the expo, but I know um, last year there wasn't really much there. So I'll probably skip over that portion of this podcast yeah. it it does look like they are having it and it's back at the heinz um, memorial convention center so um pretty standard hours you know most of the day friday saturday oh. and sunday so well, that's exciting yeah that's for that's you know always free and open to the public it looks like this year so i don't know if you need to be um or if you need to be a participant to go in or not but um mm. Yeah, you mentioned kind of saving your legs, and I know where yes. we'd stayed down by the commons, it was like a six or seven block walk yep. at least to get to Heinz, and so you could hop on the subway and just go two or three stops and then get off, mm-hmm. and it's it's kind of quick and helps save your legs, and plus it's kind of fun to explore and learn how to navigate around around the area too. Right, definitely, and the expo in previous years before the 2020, um, I just remember it being like one of the biggest expos that I'd ever been to. Um, it, it probably is a little bit different now. I'm not entirely sure, but it it's really a fun time. But a lot of people want to spend some time there, right? If you're one of those people that likes to check out the expo, so I think planning ahead for that. Um, I know, you know, as the weekend goes on, it gets more and more busy at the expo. At least that's my experience in previous years prior to the pandemic. So if you're getting there on Friday, it would be really great if you could get to the expo because it's probably going to have the least amount of people, the least amount of traffic. I always like to just get my bib right away so that I don't have to worry about that. Um, And then, yeah, just taking your time with the expo and avoiding maybe some of those crowded hours if you're trying to avoid some of the crowds. Yeah, I would say Saturday afternoon, 
you know, from like three to six, that's probably going to be the busiest time for everyone that gets in Saturday and wants to go. And then maybe like Sunday too, you know, I would say between like 10 and two, it's probably going to be really busy uh, for those that come in Sunday morning or late Saturday night. And so, um, yeah, kind of avoiding those peak times, like you said. Yeah. And I will say last year, I, I feel like they had maybe an expo. It was like, like three or four. It was, it was really sad. So (laughs) I'm not sure if it'll be, um, you know, the same as it was in previous years, but yeah, so it'll be fun to just have that experience. And I think just having the race be in April again, that's really cool. Um, a lot of people that I am friends with who do the, the Boston streaks, right? It's like they just ran it six months ago and they're going back to run it again. So that's kind of cool that, um, you know, they had that October race and they allowed people to, to do that. And that was fun to be a part of. Um, but you mentioned that the other races are back, like the 5k and the one mile. And we actually have a coach who is in the elite one mile. Um, he will be going out there and racing, um, that as well. And so I think those races are really fun to watch. So if you're looking for things to do during the weekend, I think that can be something that's exciting is watching, um, that elite one mile if you're there in town for it. Yeah, I was actually just chatting with him um, as we're recording here to find out the time. I know that's a, that's a Saturday race as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember the one year we got in just in time to see it. And so that's pretty fun. There's also some like high school races and stuff too, um, some kids races that morning. Um, and kind of near where I think that takes place, there's also what's called the, um, I think they call it like the Fan Fest um, for the weekend. Um, it's near the Copley Square Park. There's just a lot going on there, like games, activities, different vendors. There's a stage where, you know, different artists are, are playing music and stuff. So that pretty much runs all day on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. So just a lot of runners out and about and a lot of Boston jackets, a lot of blue and blue and gold. And um, that's a fun time to just kind of be out and um, just be, you know, celebrating being in Boston that weekend. Definitely. Yeah. And heading over to like Newberry Street, there's a lot of really cool things that you can do um, while you're there. And so a lot of people will fly in on Friday, right? So that gives them like a lot of time to do a lot of these touristy things. My recommendation is to make sure on Sunday, um, at least after lunch, that you're giving us some time off your feet. Maybe you just chill in the hotel room because you want to save the legs um, for marathon day but you know friday saturday i think it's fair game to kind of do do a few of those touristy things um i know on sunday there's a lot of shakeout runs that are going on Um, a lot of them meet up at the finish line and we will be having um, a shakeout run hosted by one of our coaches athena at the finish line at 8 30. um so there's like an opportunity to take some pictures if you're on for pr's athlete and then usually it's just you know a quick are not quick, it's just short, mm-hmm. um, slow, easy miles around that area um, and around the river. Yep, and I just got 1120 is the start time for the men's elite mile. So if you're around the, kind of that area, you know, Saturday morning, definitely go out there and watch that. That's really a special time, and it's a lot of sub four milers for the men and a lot of women that are in that 420, 430 range. And so it's just a really fun atmosphere to be out there spectating that. Um, and then, yeah, there's a ton of runners. It seems like out that morning of, and you know, if you, if you're someone that notoriously doesn't do a run the day before a marathon, um, you know, it's still nice to just kind of get out and, and walk around and kind of get the blood flowing a little bit. And sometimes when you fly, it's just nice to like have an opportunity to even like run a mile, you know? So just, um, you know, be open to that, but don't be out there doing more than what you're used to doing. Don't go for a three mile run. If you're used to taking a rest day, you know, the day before you race. Yeah, and you can even come to like the shakeout run for the picture and then just kind of not do the run too. So it's all about um, what you're used to doing and kind of what you've planned with your coach or with whatever plan you are utilizing for this race. Um, The other thing I wanted to chat a little bit about is making sure you're staying hydrated, making sure you're on top of that nutrition. So this race is um, pretty unique because it starts in the middle of the day. Um, So the fueling situation is a little bit different, right, than if you are doing a race that starts at 6 a.m. for example so you're probably going to need to have a lot of fuel on hand so make sure you're prepared with that Um, hopefully you practice in training or you know um, your game plan for that and it's really going to vary from person to person Um, but making sure you're picking up those essentials if you didn't pack them right so if you're coming from out of town make sure you're packing a lot of carb rich snacks because carbo loading is going to be the two to three days before the race so you're going to want to make sure um, on the flight and while you're out and about that you have ample um, carbo loading opportunities and i know sometimes sometimes traveling can make these things challenging but if you pack a lot of snacks you should be um good to go i always try to like 
overpack the carb snacks because I'd rather have too much than not enough. And then there's a lot of um, grocery stores in downtown Boston. I know we did we go to Whole Foods or some variation yep, there's, of that. Yeah, Trader Joe's and Whole Foods. We've gone to those stores over the years. There's a couple of them, a couple options for them. Um, and so, yeah, that's another thing to think about is right when you get into town, you know, if you didn't bring a lot of food and beverages, mm-hmm. you have to kind of stock up on some of that stuff. So kind of looking ahead of time, what's close to your hotel, you know, and that's again where the, the, the public transportation comes in handy if it's like a five block walk and you don't want to, you know, take an Uber or walk with your grocery bags. So definitely good advice. Um, yeah. And I think just getting into uh, this weekend and the course this weekend one of the things that makes boston challenging in my opinion is the weather right so you really never know what you're going to get on marathon race day i've done it four times and each time the weather has been extremely different the first time in 2015 it was 40s and raining um like a downpour which wasn't too bad the next year it was the polar opposite so it was like hot it was 70s it was sunny Um, And that's always makes for a challenging day, especially because you're running in the middle of the day. So that sun um, effect is a lot greater than if you were running, you know, starting at 6 a.m. Then I ran in 2018, again, very cold and rainy, sideways winds. It was like a historical um, sort of race with the terrible weather. And then in 2021, um, I would say 2021 was like pretty good weather for Boston. Um, maybe it got a little bit uh, warm at the end, maybe a little humid. But other than that, you can't really complain. Um, I'm looking at the forecast for this Monday as of, you know, Tuesday, April 12th. And it appears that, you know, high of 56, low of 40, uh, partly cloudy pretty ideal conditions right um it doesn't look like it's going to get too crazy it does look like on tuesday there's a little bit of rain so if that moves i don't know but that's part of the thing right is even in the three days before the race it's still a little bit of an unknown with that i think in 2015 it didn't really look like the day of the race was supposed to rain it was like The next day was, but then it moved. So things can move, but just knowing that you've trained in a lot of different um, scenarios and then also packing uh, to have different options available if the weather does change. And even if you don't pack for every weather scenario, um, like in 2018, I think I pivoted and just realized I didn't have um, proper attire you can go shopping. That's kind of the beauty of Boston. There's a lot of stuff out there. So I was able to get a rain jacket or whatever um, and a waterproof hat. So there are opportunities for that, but just keeping that in mind when you pack, um, give yourself some options. And then I guess we could just dive into the course. Um, I know we did a little bit of, of a post about this earlier today. And so we're just kind of going to go over some of the same points of that post, but in an oral format. Um, we're also going to touch on aid stations, which is pretty important because you want to make sure you're staying fueled, hydrated, all of those good things. Um, so Jason, tell me a little bit about your experience the first time running Boston with like, what was your expectation going into the race in terms of you know, just the crowds, people, pacing, all that stuff, the first six miles of the race? Yeah, it's a good question. You know, the first year I did it, it was kind of cold and rainy and windy. So I think I was more focused on just trying to like stay warm, right? And I kind of started the race um, a little quicker than I should have. You know, first of all, there's a long walk to get to from Athletes Village to the start of the race. So you kind of have to be prepared for that. That's going to take some time. You know, I know in the Um, the participant guide, it'll give you a recommendation for what time you should exit the village and start walking based on your start time. Um, so make sure you, you know, you, you obey that and you get there in time to have time to use the bathroom because there's going to be long porta potty lines. Um, once you get into the corral, I just remember it was kind of hard to get in if you're kind of late getting there. Mm. Um, like people are kind of like, uh, spewing outwards and it's just like, it's tough to like get in there. And sometimes I didn't even get in until like the race had had basically started for our wave and then they kind of just like push more people in through the through the corral and so um you know people go out really fast that's the thing about boston the first mile is i mean the first like half mile i feel like is all downhill it's just it's like laughable and so um the race will kind of go out a little fast and so just kind of making sure you're um, staying really relaxed and you're not like getting too wrapped up in other people's strides 
Right. And the unique part that you have, I think, is when you... Um, so we got a comment on the post that we did and they were like, no, everyone who you're running with is exactly the same pace as you. And that's actually not the case. And so when you qualified for the first time, um, your qualifier marathon, it was kind of like a last minute decision. We were like, oh, Jason right. should try to qualify for Boston because Victoria qualified and like you weren't trained. Like it was in Las Vegas, it was at night and you kind of didn't run to your potential at all or what you normally run. So you ran like a 303, this was back in like 2013. Um, and then when you went and you were ready to race at Boston, you were in really good shape. So you go into the race in 245 shape. And so if someone is in that situation where their qualifier time is not indicative of like maybe where their fitness is at, what sort of tips do you have for them? This is a great, great point you brought up and I'm glad you did because I was going to bring it up. I was actually thinking of the second year I did Boston mm-hmm. where I was in worse shape than my qualifying time. Yes. And so, yeah, depending on where, you have to kind of assess where you're at based on your corral, right? So think about your qualifying time, where that places you. Um, so if it places you in the white wave, which is the second wave, for example, but you're in corral like one or two, um, and let's say you're not in as good a shape, right? right. As, as what you ran to qualify. Um, those people are probably gonna be going out pretty hard then yep. if you're planning to run slower. And so what you, I think you can do is you have the option to drop back um, to like um, way, you know, corral like three, four, five, six, seven, eight in that same wave. So you can do that, but you can't move up a corral. They won't let you. And so um, that's something to keep in mind if you're not in as good a fitness as when you qualified. Now, if it's the opposite, like my first time running Boston, um, you know, I wanted to try to move up so I could actually start with people that were at my level, but I, I wasn't able to. And so I was actually trying... I was kind of panicky thinking, oh, I need to like make up all this ground and I'm trying to like pass people. And really that wasn't smart because the amount of energy that that wasted uh, dodging people. Um, I remember even jumping up like into the grass at one point to get around. And um, there's also people like pulled off to the side, like going, going pee, right? Like within that first half mile. Um, And so it's just like, it's kind of crazy. It's a cluster. So my, my biggest piece of advice is just to kind of go out relaxed. Don't really worry so much about that first mile split. Um, it might be a little fast. It might, and that's okay if it's a little slow as well. You're still, you know, conserving your energy. So, yeah, and people typically do tend to go out. I mean, I've done it uh, three times where they had the corral systems. Last year I did it. They just kind of let you start whenever rolling start. But the three years where I was in those corrals, um, based on my seated number, I was pretty. I was pretty well aware that you know if it said. I qualified in like a 319 or a 314. I knew exactly what pace that was. I knew the people around me were also in that shape. You know, you just look at their bib numbers and you're like, wow, these people all have ran the exact same time as me. So for the most part, I will say most people will go out right on pace for exactly what you did in your qualifier, Um, maybe even a little faster. And that's important to know because like you said, if you're not in as good a shape, so take me in 2018, I had just had a baby four months prior and my seated time I think was like a 324, 325, I'm not, I don't remember. Um, But I knew right off the bat, like I was in 345 shape. So I'm like, this isn't gonna be good. Just being aware of that and going out slow, let people blow by you if you are not um, in that. Don't, Don't get sucked out. Um, and that, that's really important to remember, especially if you are someone who's really just not in that same shape. Um, I can definitely relate to that because that's where I kind of was at in 2018, coming back postpartum, just having a baby four months prior. And what ended up happening actually is I let everyone kind of go and, and it was really actually kind of depressing. I was running alone for like four or five miles. I was looking around. It was a little bit, it was a little freaky because, um, everyone in that second corral, right. They have, they at least ran, I think the cutoff was like a three thirty. So everyone was going faster than eight minute pace. And there I was going like eight forty five. 8.30 pace the first couple of miles. So just being aware of that. Eventually, you know, I did catch up to people or that second wave started kind of catch, or the third wave started um, catching me and it all evened out. But just being aware that you might have some of those feelings. Um, you might feel like, wow, everyone's really going a lot faster than me and just letting that um, happen the first 10K. But if you're in the opposite situation, kind of like you were, Jason, with the 303, and then trying to run like 245, which you ran 249. Um, just not wasting the energy weaving in and out of people because you're gonna catch up eventually and 
Uh, right. Yeah. And, you know, in each each wave, there's nine corrals, it says here. And, you know, I remember the one year I, I had a buddy that was up in, like, wave one, corral one. And I was I wanted to run with him. And I was worried, like, oh, I was going to start way too far back. And I think I was wave one, corral six. And I crossed the start line. The clock said, like, 150 or something. So it was only not even two minutes behind. So they do let the corrals go pretty quick, one after the next. Right. And then they pause for a while once that whole wave is gone before that they allow the next wave to go. And so... Um, yeah, if, if you're in that boat where you have a friend running in the same way but a different corral, just know that, you know, the start time's actually going to be within a couple minutes. It won't be, like, a 10-minute delay. Right, like, running your own race and then just being aware that, like, you'll probably catch them eventually. Those first couple miles are, like, thick, right? Like, it's crowded. Um, you know, last year was very different because the rolling start, but every other year I felt like it was shoulder-to-shoulder runners. Yep. All you could hear is just the footsteps, even with headphones in, right? Like, you yep. just hear the Yep. Like it was, it's so loud and like there's so many people who are running so fast and so that's where it can get a little tricky, right? A lot of people who qualify for Boston, um, they're not doing races that are as big as Boston, right? So unless you qualified at like New York or like Chicago, um, mm-hmm. you're probably, maybe you're used to like this small hometown marathon. Um, I know I was when I first went to Boston, Boston was my first major and I was used to being, you know, top whatever in the race there was a lot of room for running right there wasn't a struggle to get to the aid stations but that's something that's going to be present here at boston there's a lot of people um there's a lot of people going fast and so getting to the aid stations can sometimes be a challenge based on where you're located within that giant pack so if you're stuck in the middle of the road you might miss those aid stations. And so I know it's important to run the tangents and whatnot, but it's also really important to stay hydrated. So being aware of where these aid stations are, being aware that you really want to start fueling early and often, don't skip all of the aid stations the first eight miles because it's too crowded, um, especially if it's going to be like a sunny day. You know, it could be partly sunny, it says. So you really want to make sure you're getting that hydration in the first um, 10K of the race because I know that's something that can be easily overlooked. Yep, and so, you know, the aid stations, um, I guess the hydration starts at mile two, and then they're every mile. And yep. so one thing to keep in mind, too, if you're further back in your wave or your corral is those stations are going to have tons of cups on the ground. And so just kind of really being mm-hmm. careful when you're running through there to, you know, make sure you're not, like, tripping or running into people who maybe come to a stop. Um, and planning ahead, right? Like knowing are you going to kind of hit the, the start of the station, yep. the middle, or the end? Yep. Are you going to hit the right side of the street or the left? Um, and sort of looking ahead at the signs too, like is water first or is Gatorade first, that sort of thing and planning, you know, how you want to approach those stations. Right. Having a plan is so key. And just, if you just repeat doing the same thing at every station, you can really get into a rhythm. Um, I'm always pretty much on the right hand side of the road. It's like, I'm either, I'm either going to grab like one of the first cups or maybe more on the tail end, just depending on like what people in front of me are doing. Right. Um, typically if you kind of wait till the middle to end, you're going to have maybe a better chance of grabbing a cup because a lot of times people try to grab those first couple of cups and then there's like a a gap. Um, It just really depends. So making sure that you're just being aware and having a plan for those aid stations is super important. Um, Talking a little bit about the course, right? So the course really surprised me the first year you run it, right? You always hear, oh, Boston, it's such a challenging course. Don't try to PR, blah, blah, blah. I heard heard it a million times going into the race. Um, I wouldn't necessarily shy shy someone away from trying to PR at Boston. I do think it's definitely a possibility, but a lot of that's gonna go into like, what did your training look like? What was your fitness like when you ran your PR? How is your fitness now? Um, it definitely is doable. A lot of people can PR at Boston, but it is a challenging course. So a P, like a certain time at Boston, if you are comparing that to like a grandma's marathon or Chicago marathon, you know, it's maybe going to be a little bit faster. So you really want to be able to assess, um, you know, where is your fitness on a flat course? How's your fitness going to be at Boston? That sort of thing. One thing that really surprised me about Boston, um, obviously I was prepared for the hills in Newton, right? Like I knew, okay, that stretch is gonna be really hilly. I was not prepared for the hills throughout the entire course. So Jason, talk to me a little bit about your experience running it the first time in the hills. Yeah, I mean, I was, same thing. I was kind of surprised at um, sort of how rare it seemed to be running on flat ground. Mm-hmm. So you were constantly either running on like a slight down slope or a up, upward slope. And there seemed to be like a lot of like little rollers that I yes. kind of wasn't expecting. And 
you know, if you look at the elevation map, it does look like a nice kind of gradual sort of downhill ride until yeah. you get to mile 16. Um, but there are a few, you know, you see those little like spikes and those are like, those are hills. And so you have to kind of be aware of that. And that's, I think when we talk about um, people that PR Boston and that have a good race, it's, um, you know, a couple things have to go right for them. Number one, they have to execute a smart pacing plan for where their fitness level is, right? And so, um, number two, they have to be strong. They have to have had, you know, experience training on hills. Um, their legs have to be, you know, strong enough to handle those elevation changes. Um, so if you're not used to the hills um, or you don't do any strength training, you might struggle. And so just really being aware of that. And then, um, yeah, I think the crowd support is amazing, though. That really helped me get through the first half fairly quickly and just like mentally feeling like, you, you, you know, you want to feel really fresh as you come through halfway because you know what's about to happen, right, as you get to mile 16. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, conserving a lot of energy and um, just being really efficient when you are on the hills. Definitely. And I think the first couple times, the first two times I ran it, both times were, uh, you know, a positive split, obviously. Uh, I ran, I think, an eight-minute positive split the first time and then, like, a five or six the second time. Um, but you know, the mistake that I made that first time, and now I'm going to say I learned from my mistakes, right? So the third time I ran it postpartum, it was like in the 340s, but that was a negative split. So I executed a negative split. Um, This last time that I ran it, it was pretty much an even split. I ran like, uh, I think 135, 136 or something. So pretty even. Um, But I will say the mistake I made the first year is that you know, I kind of had like this pacing plan, pacing band. And I was like, you know what? I'm not going to go out too hard that first 10K. I'm going to make every 5K that first half of the race faster than the previous 5K. I was like, I'm, I'm going to really na- nail this negative splits, right? So I had that and that's what I did. I tried to make like pretty much every, not every mile faster, but I was really obsessed with like pace and I kept looking at my watch and thinking, okay, I want this to look really good on paper. And I was like trying to just go 100% off my watch. Um, When I reached Newton Hills, I felt all right. Um, I slowed down a little bit, but that was my plan. When I reached top Heartbreak Hill, um, I was like excited, started going down the backside and looking at my watch, I was very confused. Like, why was I slowing down? Um, it was like a classic bonk, right? Um, obviously, it could have been a lot worse. I still ran an okay time. But what I realized in that is that the whole time I was staring at my watch, I wasn't really running the hills based on effort at all. And so if I would have just ran within myself and if I would have just let myself run the right effort instead of worrying what Sally on the left of me and Bob on the right of me was doing, I would have been able to probably not bonk as bad because I'm someone who can run really well on downhills. I slow up on the uphills. And naturally, if that's more my inclination, people should be passing me on the uphills. Um, And I didn't really let that happen because I wanted to like stay with people or I had this like weird mental hang up on that. And that ended up causing me to bonk at the end where I ran my even splits or negative splits. I just really leaned into, okay, how does this feel? Am I gonna feel completely zapped at the top of this hill? How do I want to feel when I get to the top? Um, Making sure I was never really digging into like a threshold zone until after mile, you know, uh, 18, maybe 20. Um, Making sure that it wasn't ever feeling too um, breathless, you know, making sure you check in with yourself and, and not obsessing over that pace. And that's just one of the words of wisdom I wish I could go back and kind of give myself that advice. Yeah, I kind of, you know, mentally for me, when I approached Boston, I looked at those four Newton Hills as sort of like, you know, uh, I broke them up into four quarters, right? So I knew the first one, I knew they're, they're always about a mile or a mile and a half in between each one. So in your head, mentally, you just want to break it up and know that mm-hmm. like when you finish the first one, you know, you want to feel like you still have at least any, you just want to feel like you have a lot of effort left in you. And so, and then the second one, you're halfway done with the hills. And so making sure that you have, you've conserved enough energy and so on. And so for me, you know, that was always something I wanted to get to the top of heartbreak and not be destroyed. Right. And mm-hmm. so, um, and like you said, sometimes after heartbreak, you may feel good for like another mile and then that's when it maybe hit, hits you. And I think that's what right. happened to me the first time I ran Boston. I didn't really feel like it slowed up, slowed me up until about mile 22 and a half. That's mm-hmm. why I really started to feel like, oh gosh, like <laughs> what's going on? So that fatigue can set in a little bit later. Right. Um, so don't just get to the top of heartbreak and throw down right away because mm-hmm. you just never know how, like, you still have a long ways to go. And the yes. course isn't flat the last five miles. Yeah. So you just don't know how your legs are going to respond. 
Yeah, that was a really good advice. And I always like to visualize how do I want to feel at the top of that hill? Because as I mentioned before, I'm someone who really enjoys that downhill section. And so I would try to look at it instead of being so fearful. I think the first time I ran the race, I was so afraid. Every time I saw a hill, I was like, oh, don't, don't, you know, it was all this negative, negative, negative. And in Newton, I was like, oh no, when's the next hill? Oh no, when's the next hill? And it was just such a negative thought process. Whereas the last time I ran it, where I ran a PR, um, it was more of like this positive thinking of, okay, once I get to the top of this hill, it's go time. Like I'm going to go, this is my time to shine. Like I looked at the hill as like, okay, when I get to the top, it's a reward. Like it's not like I was looking forward to the hill, but I was looking forward to what happens after that hill. And so I think if we just really have our mindset being more focused on the positives in general, we're going to have a better time, right? And so there's ways to frame it up. Even if you're not great at running hills, there's ways to mentally in your head still get pumped about this race and be like, you know what? Actually, I'm not looking forward to the hills, but I'm looking forward to the downhills. Because if you look at this, there's so much downhill. And yeah, there's uphills as well. But having that mindset in check and just saying, I'm going to run off effort. I'm going to run my own race. And I'm going to use, you know, my strengths. I'm going to play to my strengths. So, Jason, um, I know that when you ran this race, which is really interesting, is that you really felt it in your quads. And I had never have had that experience. Um, So talk to me a little bit about, like, what you think your strengths are as a runner, when you started feeling it in the quads, and anything, any tips for that? or. yeah, you know, the first year I ran Boston, I was in I was in pretty good shape, so I didn't really feel it. I just felt general kind of tiredness, mm-hmm. like through Newton the whole, whole the whole way. But I didn't feel like I hit the wall really until um, like that mile twenty two and a half. That's where I really started to feel like, oh my gosh, my quads are really tired right now. Okay. Um, but the next year when I ran it, I wasn't as in good a shape. And by the time I even like got to that first hill, my my quads already felt like they did the year prior at mile twenty two and a half. So um, I think part of that was the weather too. It was a lot hotter mm-hmm. and sunnier, and so I need a lot more fuel. Um, so that's something to think about if you're prone to cramping um, or just like you know having heavy legs I would make sure you're getting enough carbs getting enough sodium to make sure that you can delay um, the depletion in your muscles as long as possible and so um, but I really liked how you mentioned like um, not focusing so much on the hill and being worried about the hill and being afraid of it but really just focusing on um, the mindset of how you want to feel once you crest the hill and get to the top and kind of getting back into your rhythm yes. and back into your like race pace. So don't worry so much about how much you're slowing down, maybe 30, 40 seconds per mile or or even like 10 seconds a mile for some of you. But um, yeah, be, be happy when you get to the top because then you can kind of get back into that rhythm. And I think if you focus on that part, um, you're going to get through those hills faster and it won't be as taxing. Right. And I know, you know, on findmymarathon.com, love the website, love the idea of like the pace vans that they produce. I think it's awesome, right? I love spreadsheets. I love all of that geeking out. Um, but, you know, when you plug in, okay, I want to run, let's say you want to run 330 at Boston, right? You plug it in, it's going to spit out where you should be at every single mile based on each hill on the course, which is really cool in theory, right? Like if you were a robot, but not everyone runs exactly the same on uphills and downhills. And so I think it's just really important that when you're in some of these hillier sections, or if you notice during the race that you're really looking down at your watch, or you're just kind of like getting in your head about like, whoa, I didn't think I would be running this (sighs) slow, or I didn't think I would be running this fast. I just try to like not look at the watch. I turn off auto lap for courses like this, um, pretty much for every course, but like for courses like this, especially with the hills, I don't really find it productive to have the Garmin beeping at you telling you what you hit every single mile in. Cause like mile one, it might be directly downhill. Mile two, there might be like a little bit of an uphill that's gonna, you know, sway the pace a little bit. So I like to just look at like, what is my average pace for the entire race, you know, and that stays pretty consistent overall. And so that's what I like to, to look at on my Garmin. I don't like to have it beep at me. So that could be one way if you're someone that kind of gets in your head a little bit, or you try to be a perfectionist with your pacing. Yeah. And as I write pacing plans for my athletes, you know, I'm always factoring in, you know, typically the fastest miles are probably going to be on this course, you know, between like, you know, 12 and 16. And then again, hopefully at the end, right? Like 24 to 26. But I know that between 16 and 21, those are going to be the slowest miles probably of the race, just because of the the amount of uh, gain in those miles. Um, and so, right. yeah, I'm always, you know, depending on what that average pace is, I'm going to add 20 seconds per mile or so, depending on each athlete and what I know about the athlete and how they handle hills. Um, but 
again, this is just something that we try to use to estimate and it's, there's not an exact science to it. So I think listening to your body, going more off of effort is going to be really wise. And, um, you know, you may only slow down a little bit on the first two hills, but you may have to slow down more on the second two or vice versa. If you take it a little more conservative on the first hill or two, maybe you feel stronger going up heartbreak. And so I think just being really mindful of, um, you know, breaking the course up into small parts and getting through it is the way to do it. Right. And I know there's like the whole start conservative thing and you do want to do that. But again, it's off of effort. And so if you're someone that's like fire at the downhills, you might have some quicker miles in that first 10K. But the idea should be, you know, it should feel really comfortable. It should feel like a warm up. It shouldn't feel like, you know, you're really racing at that point. Um, so that's another reason why I didn't really want to look at my watch too much that first 5k 10k because I didn't want to like psych myself out um I actually ran you know the times where I ran those really bad positive splits I actually ran a really conservative like first 5k of the race because again I was focused on I want to get faster every single 5k because people are tracking me and like I knew every time I went through the time check oh faster 5k oh faster 5k until you get until I got to like 25 30k then it kind of blew up in my face the time where I ran very even splits, the 311 time, um, I actually got slower every 5K. <laughs> and I remember thinking, oh, like, but by slightly, right? By like 10 seconds, 20 seconds. And I was like, I don't know if that's good or not, but I was like, I feel all right. Um, but then I started speeding up again through Newton. So it's just, don't get too much in your head, like about those little things that are going mm-hmm. on. Cause sometimes it's just the first 5K is really fast and the next 5K is still fast, but then it kind of like flattens out there. So I kind of was in my head a little bit about that, but it's just really important to to go off effort, trust your training, trust the paces that you've done in your training, right? So if you have practiced marathon um, effort work and you know exactly where you're supposed to be, just trust that effort, right? You've done it in training. Once you have the taper and you have like that race day adrenaline, you have carbo loading, all that stuff, it's going to feel... Um, easier over the course of 26.2 miles, right? Yep. And then just the course in general is pretty much lined with spectator support on each side mm-hmm. in most of the areas. And so that's just really, that that's really powerful. I think it helps you with your, with just your adrenaline, knowing that there's so many people yeah. out there and then like the level of competition around you too. I think that's really why Boston can be a PR course is just like the excitement, right? And just mm-hmm. knowing you're out there with so many fast runners and um, so when you go through like, especially like the Wellesley area and you have all like the college kids out there screaming, the scream tunnel, they call it, make sure you don't like surge too much. Cause that can really be an area where you're tempted to just like throw down. Cause you're feeling good. You're getting your runners high at that point in the race, yep. but you still have so much more so much. to go. And so it's like, you gotta be really careful throughout that race, but yes. really take it in, enjoy it. You know, it's okay if you pick it up a little bit, but it shouldn't be like a huge drastic pace increase. Right. Yeah. And there are some like good downhill sections through kind of some of those big spectating areas, the first half of the race. So just being conscious of those things, um, and being aware, like, okay, you know, your adrenaline might start getting going when there's these big sections of cheering. One thing I do find really cool about the course is, you know, in the beginning miles, there maybe aren't as many spectators. Um, it's a little bit thinned out through certain sections. Mm -hmm. And then as you get, you know, closer to Newton, um, you know, there's like pockets of more people like at Wellesley and stuff. But then when you're in Newton, that's when it starts to kind of pick up. Like right around, I feel like mile 18, um, it's just like, there's more people, there's more people. You get to heartbreak and like, it sucks, right? Like heartbreak hill, I hate heartbreak hill, but it's loud. And all of a sudden you're like, what is going on? Like people are screaming. So they're holding signs. So if you don't know that this is heartbreak hill, which you should, um, there's signs. People are like, this is it, right? Like they say it on the signs and you just kind of look around you take it in. You're like, whoa, there's like a lot of people and they're all, they're all watching with signs. And that's really the part of the course where you need it the most. And so that's why I think it's really cool to run this race because there's just so many spectators. And then when you get to the top of the hill, all the way till the finish line, I just feel like it's just stacked with so many people spectating, especially from mile like 23 on it's like it's so loud it's like piercing i mean it's huge crowds of people and they're like looking at you right too they're like making eye contact i just remember people like point at you and they like say mm-hmm. something about you they'll be like yeah go blondie or like go <laughs> whatever they say your name if you have it on your bib 
Um, and it's just like a really cool experience, even if you're not having a good race. So I've had right. races where it's like, I pretty much like quote unquote blew up there. And the one thing that really got me through and maybe not as like upset about that was, oh my gosh, people are like screaming for me. Like can't walk now. <laughs> like can't give up now. Like, um, it's, it's a fun course. Yeah. You really appreciate just like, um, the uniqueness of the race and like how much support there is. And so, especially in those later miles as, as the spectators increase, um, you know, when you need it the most, you have that support. And so just really thinking about, um, you know, doing the best you can to get to the finish line as quick as possible. Right. And as pain-free as possible. that's really the goal. Um, something else I feel like we should talk about is like, if you were planning to spectate a race or if you're running and you want to kind of figure out how do I tell my family to spectate me along the course, um, plan this out in advance. Um, spend some time looking at the maps, looking at the commuter rail times, looking at the subway times, and just know that, um, it can be tough to get to more than two spots, um, on the course. I've done it. I've been to four different spots to see Victoria and it's tough. I've done, I've done everything from, you know, get off at one station and jog 0.6 to get to the next uh, spot on the course or renting one of those blue bikes and then biking to a different um, spot on the course. And, you know, it's better to, I think, just pick your two or three spots at the max and then um, make sure they're far enough apart to allow enough time to get to those spots. Um, because a lot of times those commuter rails only run back every hour, um, on the hour or whatnot. Yeah. So the subways, they run more frequently. So if you're in that final, like six miles or whatnot, you can get on a subway. But the thing with those are they get really congested. And, um, if you're trying to see someone at the finish, you're not going to be able to clear security and get into the Copley area and see them actually finish. Um, if you're only allowing yourself, like, um, you know, let's say you saw them at like 20, you're probably not going to have enough time to get to the finish. Um, because it takes, there's long lines now with security to get into that area. And so, um, plan that out. Like where's your going to be your meeting spot with your family after the race? Maybe it's at the corner of Arlington and, um, Boylston once they clear, um, all of the, you know, post-race, um, finish, finish area and they get through bag check. That could be an area to meet with your family so that they don't have to go into the actual finish area. Um, cause that can be a congested area, but, um, there's also some areas kind of near the Hereford street, um, before you make those turns that you could probably catch your athlete there around like 25 point, um, point six, point seven, somewhere in that area. So yeah, that was interesting. I didn't know. So you said security for like spectators? Yeah, that's near like Boylston area. So probably oh, so anywhere from 25.8 to the finish. So um, there's like a line? Well, there's, they have to check bags. And oh, so wow. there's, okay. there's designated areas where you can't get in on like every street that you see. Oh, wow. It's like fenced off. And there's only like, I think, uh, you know, like one or two um, entrances on like the south side of Boylston, one on the north side. And then there's the one on the um it'd be the west side you know when they turn in from from here hereford street so um yeah just allow extra time if you're spectating to get to that finish to see your athlete or you might miss them i missed victoria one year and that's just how it was um but i was able to see her at the bottom of heartbreak i think it was around like 22 i saw her and then um i got there right basically as she was finishing so it's one of those things like it's fun to see them out on the course um but you have to think about where is it the most important to find your person and to see them, you know, maybe it's at the finish or maybe they need to see you at, you know, that last 5k, maybe that's where they need mm-hmm. to hear you, your presence. Um, but just, yeah, plan that out. Cause that can be a congested area, right. um, at that finishing time. Yeah. It's not like a typical, it's not even like a twin cities. It's, it's right. definitely jam packed. I know, one of my friend's husband's goes like every year and spectates like in the same exact spots. He always gets pictures, but he goes out pretty early to get that spot. And so I think if you want like a good spot sitting or whatever, right. you have to kind of go out there early. So you really have to pick and choose like, am I going to try to go right. find them somewhere on the course or am I just going to kind of sit tight, which I personally am like so bad at logistics. I would just be like sitting tight. It's exciting to see different parts of the course and just see like the level of spectators around each part. Um, The other thing you could do is just not bring a bag to the finish and that'll help you get through Mm. security quicker. Then you can just skip that line, but um, it's still congested. So um, yeah, just plan ahead there. Yeah, and then the other thing I wanted to add, I know in the past we've done different um, different things with busing. There are some 
clubs that have like coach busing to the start but for the most part you know you're getting on those school buses you're going to be dropped out at athletes village there is um, a little bit of a wait between times and so just making sure that you have everything that you need making sure that you have throwaway clothes right I mean this is probably maybe obvious but I think it's worth mentioning um, make sure you're packing those things because you want to stay warm so it said you know the weather could be 40 to 56 that's gonna feel cold sitting around at least for me um, so I'm gonna bring you know sweatpants that I can throw away sweatshirt I can throw away and you can just leave those along your walk to the start line um, the walk to the start line is about a mile probably yeah um, so prepare for that on the way to the start line there's bathrooms maybe about a half a mile ish from the start so you can plan for that as well so if you go to the bathroom in athletes village there's another bathroom on your walk to the start line uh, making sure that you pack enough food for that weight um, having your fueling plan kind of like nailed down exactly um, and yeah just being prepared for all of that waiting around because I know it can kind of get a little boring um, I don't really know what I did some of the years that passed the time it felt like it kind of dragged on yeah you know it's it's unlike any other race because you're there so early and it starts so late and then there's different start times for athletes too and so um, there's a lot of nervous energy. Even the <laughs> athletes that have been there and done Boston before, I think you you're, you get nervous every time, um, oh, yeah. especially if there's um, inclement weather, um, if it's hot or if it's windy or, you know, rainy. But um, mm. yeah, that, I, I like the idea of just planning to bring extra stuff that you can kind of get rid of that you don't care about. So extra gloves, extra um, a, par- a poncho, whatever it is, you know, long sleeves, pants, um, sunscreen, just make sure you have it all and be ready for those conditions. Definitely. And that's the other thing I wanted to mention. So we talked earlier in the podcast, like the weather this weekend is, or on Monday is going to be great, right? So 40s to 55, like you can ask for better weather. And sometimes when I have marathons where the forecast looks perfect, all of a sudden I start to get even more nervous because I'm Mm. like, oh, like shoot, like this is my one opportunity. It's going to be perfect. Like people are, there's no excuses, right? And so I kind of get in my head or there's that other phenomenon that happens where you're like oh it's gonna be perfect weather I'm gonna feel good and so you start thinking you're gonna feel good um, during the marathon or it's gonna feel so much easier but we want to keep in mind that it's going to feel hard no matter what the weather is so you're gonna be pushing um, it's a race you're pushing 100% effort so if it doesn't feel great at the last half of the marathon or like if you're struggling up heartbreak hill um, don't get in your head and like beat yourself up because um, don't say stuff like, oh, it's um, it's 40 degrees or it's 50 degrees. You have no excuse. Like, no, marathons are hard regardless mm-hmm. of if it's perfect weather or not. Obviously, if it's inclement weather, it, it makes it even worse. But if you have a hard day or if, if it feels hard, remember that it should feel hard because you're racing a marathon. And so prepare for that mentally. Even if the conditions look great, don't prepare that you're going to feel great you want to go into the race knowing that this is gonna be hard this is very challenging but i'm prepared for that yeah really well said it's normal to go through these races and have different stretches that feel harder than they might feel later in the race Um, and then the other thing to keep in mind is if you know if you're here you qualified this is your first boston um it most likely won't be your last and so don't put so much pressure on yourself to perform super well like just enjoy the experience be be happy to be there think about all the athletes that could you know chose not to go or um, they were injured and they couldn't be there and so just just run the race enjoy the experience don't worry so much about the outcome and the time Um, and then just get that experience and then you can always like go back in the future if you want to target a faster time right yeah and a lot of people they think oh you know are you running boston this year i get a lot of people that they assume I'm running Boston just because, like, I've qualified for the race. And so just know that, you know, it is a tough course. And so the reason I'm not <laughs> running it this year is because I it's a, it's hard, right? It's a hard course. Um, I don't I don't, it's, I don't want to be someone that does it every year because it is such a challenging course um, for me. And so that's why I'm not going there um, this year because I just did it six months ago. So it's just a lot of doing the same the same challenging course and I, I take breaks from it. So if you feel like, okay, this is like a really, really tough course after you're done running it, just know that, you know, a lot of people feel that way. Um, but, you know, you can go back, give yourself a little break. Um, Mm-hmm. And it's it's a great course at the same time. So it is really special, um, but it is definitely, it lives up to all of the hype that it is. 
Yeah, it's definitely an exciting weekend. Um, just the weekend in general, you know, because typically you're there for at least like two nights. Most people are. And so you make it a fun kind of runcation. You get to explore the city of Boston. Um, you're literally in this dense area with probably more runners than you'll ever be with again. And so um, you're going to see a lot of people out and about um, later that night, Monday night. Um, a lot of people go watch a Red Sox game. I'm sure they're at, they have a home game that day. That's the other thing is as you approach um, you know, the Sitco sign and you get close to mile 24 and Fenway there, there's probably going to be a lot of like Red Sox fans out there cheering you on before the, the game. And so that's always something they always try to time. And, uh, it's just, it's just a fun weekend. And so, um, take it all in and just know that, um, a lot of people will be, um, kind of living through you if they're not able to right. be there that day. It's just fun to like watch it on TV, the elite race or tracking people, you know, through the app and just thinking about the runners out there. Yeah, definitely some great words of wisdom. One more thing. I just keep thinking of like more and more things, right? I wanted to talk about the sun. So it doesn't look like it's going to be super sunny, but I do want people to keep in mind that, you know, if you've been training in the winter, so I'm from Minneapolis, um, we train in the winter and I just ran a marathon two, not even two weeks ago, but it, it was in Las Vegas. So it was obviously a lot more sunny. I just remember all of my long runs were in like negative, right? So it was like negative 10 or zero degrees or whatever it may be. Um, that's what I trained in for most of my training. And a lot of people who are running Boston, you probably did a lot of your long runs in, you know, like 30 something degrees or colder. And so just keeping those things in mind, like if you start to feel like, wow, like it's a little bit warmer than I thought 50 felt, or it feels like I'm really thirsty. Um, it's just your body, it, it's running in different weather. And so it is going to feel a little bit different. So even if you start feeling like, whoa, I'm a lot more thirsty than normal, or whoa, this sun feels really intense, you can still run really well and try not to psych yourself out. The race that I recently did, it's like I trained in really cold temperatures. The sun was still really hot, but I still was able to basically run my goal time. So don't, don't worry too much about that. Just making sure that you do stay hydrated then. So when it, when it's a little bit warmer than usual, and especially when you're doing race efforts, it's just that much more important to stay hydrated. And then one more word of wisdom. So we're sharing this with you more so because it's like, we've, we've learned things, right? So the one year that you ran Boston, you ran 249. The next year you ran 325. What did you learn from those experiences? And like, would you say that that's something that's, I mean, I've seen people do that before well, where it's like, a, that was, course. you know, I wasn't as well trained going in, but I right. still, I think I tried to run a faster time than I was capable of running. Okay. Um, and yep. you know, Hills plus heat equals a lot more energy required. Mm -hmm. And I did not fuel for that. And so I would, I basically walked the last 5k. I had to like walk and stop and stretch a lot and stuff. So um, had I been able to just kind of keep running at like nine minute pace, I probably could have ran like a three, three out three Oh five. But, um, it's just one of those things like, yeah, it, it was humbling to be that person that, um, <laughs> had to do that the last, uh, 5k. And then the year before I had such a good race, you know, I was m just mentally dialed in physically stronger and everything. And so, um, yeah, just kind of be, be aware that not everyone out there, people that are having a bad race, that doesn't necessarily mean they're not a good runner, right? They could just, right. maybe they underestimated, yes. um, what it took to be there that day, or they just like qualified a year ago and they really didn't run at all. And yeah. they just like barely did some runs to get ready to run Boston. And so you're going to get every level of athlete out there. And that's, what's kind of cool is that everyone's got their own like experiences and, and uh, some people are going to run PRs. Other people are going to be, I think that year we actually had people that ran like an hour slower than their PR that yeah. we, that we knew of. And oh, so yeah. it's just one of those things where, um, yeah, if it is hot and sunny, just make sure that you are ready for that. And, uh, I need to correct my, my, um, error a few minutes ago about the Red Sox game. They actually yeah. started 11, 10 that day. Um, when most people are finishing or coming through that area. And so there'll be a lot of like drunken baseball fans out there cheering you on, I'm, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. And so, um, yeah, it should confused. be a fun time or confused. Confused baseball fans, what's going yeah, on? Yeah, right? <laughs> I think most <laughs> people in Boston know because right. of the fact that it's Patriots Day and they, you know, they well, shut down the city that day. Yeah. But yeah, it's, uh, it's going to be a fun day. Definitely. Yeah, and that's a really good reminder to keep in mind. Um, everyone who's doing this race, you know, you all worked hard to qualify or fundraise um, to get there. And you might see people who are out there on the course, you know, walking who maybe are wearing a red bib. And it's like, you really don't know like what they've been through <laughs> in the last two years, right? Maybe they had surgery on their hip. Maybe they just had a baby. I have a friend that just had a baby C-section two and a half months ago, and she's, she's going to be out there running. So it's just... 
everyone's coming from different scenarios and I think that's a cool thing is that you can all come together and run this race so just keep that in mind when you're out there and just support each other and tell people good job especially if you see someone out there that's like struggling um, those last couple of miles you're gonna see it so just let them know like they're doing a good job and like they can do it because it it is tough and it can be um, a humbling day for some people and they just need that little bit of extra encouragement and I think that's what running the Boston Marathon is really all about because it's that spirit of Boston people out there you're gonna notice like people are cheering they just love Boston um, the city of Boston loves <laughs> the Boston Marathon I mean you can see it in their eyes and it's just a really fun experience so I'm super excited for everyone who is running and now I am feeling like I want to run right <laughs> but uh, maybe in another year um, so good luck to everyone and if you guys have any questions feel free to like message the run for prs account on instagram i'll definitely get back to you on there or you know if you have any questions and you work with us you can ask your coach or you can email me directly or our info at runforprs.co inbox because jason and i are always in there um, and we're happy to answer any questions that you have so thanks for tuning in and of course we're still doing the free seven day trial so if that's something you're interested in you can fill out the form on our website www.runforprs.co i know this weekend can really get some people excited to jump into some training. So again, that's www.runforprs.com. And we will see you next week.